You're listening to Back to Us Radio on the Back to Us Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com forward slash back to us. That is audiblepodcast.com forward slash B-A-C-K, the number two, U-S. Hi, and welcome. I am Marla Renee Stewart, aka the Sex Architect of Velvet Lips. And I'm so excited today and extremely proud to have uh, Robin Wilson Beatty and Bethany Stevens for a wonderful discussion about sexuality and disability. Um, and so having once been a sort of a taboo subject, these two sex geeks are setting the world on fire with their high level intelligence when it comes to great sex. Um, so just get ready to uh, listen to our discussion and hopefully you can hang out with us on air as we sort of address any questions you may have about sexuality and disability. So Bethany and Robin, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank Marla, you for having us. Yes, yes. Exciting. So um, I want to give a quick introduction. Uh, Robin um, is a sexologist and the founder of Sex Abled, a sexuality and disability educational company. As a sexuality and disability educator, the focus of Sex Abled is really to draw attention to the intersection of race and disability, which are highly underrepresented. Uh, she's a member of ASECT, an active member of the National Direct Action Disability Organization, ADAPT, where she protests for policy change to allow people with disabilities to live independently in the community instead of institutions. So she's also an ambassador of the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. She's an avid sex geek who um, has a forthcoming pamphlet that will be available at the local Liberator Factory and other high-end uh, sexual boutiques, which features adaptive sexual positions. And you can go to her website, which is uh, sexabledwithrobinwb.com, or you can follow her on Twitter, um, which is just the handle at sexable. So Robin, tell me a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about sexabled. Well, Sexabled um, is my business, and uh, the primary focus of Sexabled is to empower people to enjoy having sex, whatever their ability, and I like to teach people um, on ways that they can adapt, make adaptations, um, in order to extend their pleasure and to see that they are sexual powerful sexual beings and that they have a right to feel and experience pleasure. That's amazing. So I know you just started this company. What inspired you to start the company? Well, actually, it was born out of my own um, frustration. It's been quite a journey mm. uh, for me on how I got to this place. But the, the primary focus of is I felt like I wanted to hear more voices and I wanted to be part of the, those voices that talked about uh, disability and sexuality. Um, the one of my, Bethany Stevens, as who's here, uh, <laughs> she is, you know, she's my closest friend, but also a mentor. And, but how I um, came uh, to it, it was, it was actually, it was born out of my own interest. I've always been interested in uh, sexuality education. Um, even before I, I acquired and was diagnosed with 
uh, my disabilities. I have a spinal cord injury, mm-hmm. and uh, which I acquired in 2004, and um, I have a mental illness. I have a severe clinical depression, mm-hmm. PTSD, and uh, anxiety disorder. And I, but I've always been interested in sexuality education going back to 1990. Yes, I'm revealing my age. Um, <laughs> back in high school when um, I got certified uh, to teach um, for a high school uh, through the Red Cross to teach about uh, HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. And so, and uh, talking about condom use and things like that to my class. And this was, you know, pretty progressive for Arkansas back in 1990. Um, and I've just always, but, you know, I've always been interested in sexuality. I was the kid who was in the library always reading about reproduction and, you know, getting encyclopedias and reading about sex. Mm-hmm. I was just really, really interested. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I geeked out about that stuff. Nice. And I had... I had no idea that that would one day lead to my future career. So I did not realize that one could be have, be a sexual educator as a career until I met Bethany Stevens. Wow. <laughs> when I met Bethany and I, because I had, I'd been doing kind of grassroots education talking about sexuality and disability. Um, I would talk to, you know, Emory's med school students about uh, being a person with a disability and being involved in BDSM, mm-hmm. and which for a lot of people that was like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, because BDSM is already outside of the mainstream, and then when you add it, disability to mm-hmm. it, it really throws It's way people. taboo, yeah. It is way taboo. Um, so, but, you know, I am very comfortable talking about things that other people are uncomfortable talking about. So Awesome. Um, but, yeah, so I... So once, you know, and I started, you know, from hanging out with Bethany and just talking to her and having conversations and doing more reading. And I'm going, you know what? I can do this. I have a degree in anthropology. I know, you know, I, I know how to do research Mm -hmm. and I, um, I've just always been interested in culture Mm -hmm. and how people live. And so I just combined that with sexuality and I became a member of ASECT and I'm working on my ASECT certification. Um, I've attended uh, Reed Mahalko's Sex Geek Camp mm-hmm. uh, where he teaches uh, the business side of being a sexual educator. Nice. And uh, it's just, it's been a fascinating, but I, you know, the thing is I come from I, I come from experience and I come from being here in the community because I was already doing that uh, grassroots talking at Karis, talking at, you know, like I said, at the med school, just, you know, talking about those things, talking even just in my own peer support because I'm a certified, uh, Georgia certified peer supporter um, for disability. And uh, that it led me to this. Awesome. That's amazing. So I, um, it's so interesting that you mentioned, you know, Bethany as your mentor and whatnot. And I think I, I remember the first time I sort of fell in love with Bethany was at a, um, at a, a talk at Georgia State University School of Public Health. And she was giving a presentation that blew my mind. And when I say blew my mind, I was just like, I need to know Bethany. Like, I need to know Bethany. 
And so, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and for the folks that can't see us, um, since we're not doing a webcast, my <laughs> eyes are like getting nice and big. And <laughs> my face is turning a lovely shade of pink, and I'm not one to blush. So I know, thank you, Marla. Yes, it was awesome. Yes, you were amazing, and I was you just like, amazing, your presentation was just so on point, and I was like. There's a whole other part of sexuality that I just do not know anything about. And I just really appreciated all the information that you gave out. So it was, um, that was really, really awesome. So with that said, let me introduce you. So Bethany Stevens is a sexologist and disability consultant, a passionate lecturer and workshop facilitator. She has given invited talks internationally with a focus on issues related to sexual health of people with disabilities. She maintains a blog on cryptconfessions.com, so please go there and subscribe. And her work has been published in several peer-reviewed venues, including the American Bar Association, Human Rights Magazine, Disability Studies Quarterly, UNICEF's Annual Report, and the Center of Women Policy Studies. Stevens is a member of the inaugural class of Center of Excellence for Sexual Scholars program at Morehouse School of Medicine, working under the 16th Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. David Satcher. And from 2009 through 2013, she served as a policy analyst and faculty member in the School of Public Health, where I saw her, at Georgia State <laughs> University. So she continues to support disability justice through disability advocacy and independent scholarship. And of course, you can follow and dialogue with her always on Twitter at uh, Disabethany. That's D-I-S-A Bethany, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y, um, when you get a chance. So thank you so much, Bethany, for being here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes. Excited to be here. You have so many things under your belt. You're just really an amazing, amazing woman, amazing femme, amazing <laughs> just friend, I'm sure, that Robin can attest to and mentor. Yes. Clearly, you inspire all sorts of people. She so, inspired me, and um, and that's now, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to her, and that's why I'm now, I, sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm a baby in the field, but, and, you know, I don't know if I'm experienced, but, mm -hmm. you know, but she showed me, she, watching her, her work ethic, watching how passionate she is about educating people and teaching people. She is an amazing teacher, mm -hmm. and she has no idea how her just being her, you know, Inspires a lot of people, people. definitely. Yes. I, I think it's I think it's useful to note here this this whole focus on the word inspiration. So we're we're yeah, talking a lot mm. about inspiration, and so often with disability, when we talk about inspiration, it's just like we're inspiring people for the most trite of things. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an inspiration because I'm just somehow wheeling around with my damn dog, and mm. so I really try to push back and sort of reflect what you guys are talking about with me being an inspiration and like inspiring you to do work, inspiring you to engage in certain things. So when I do feel spunky, which is at least half of my life, <laughs> um, and people talk about how inspiring I am, I'm just like, I hope I inspire you to have good sex. I hope I inspire you to think outside of the box of what, yes. of what bodies are me. and like, how they move, what desire can look like, what sexual pleasure can feel like, and really just expanding those notions. So 
that's like my primary ethos is just that everybody is fuckable everybody deserves sex Mm -hmm. and everybody can get laid if they want it and i think that that's just a lovely notion because so many of us just we feel trapped in our bodies these Mm. like these notions of shame because we're just taught by media and other forces not to love ourselves because of you know, non-dominant racial groups or Mm -hmm. like queer sexualities or our gender isn't presented in the normative way or disability. So I don't know. It's just, I, I, I find like disability as a touchstone to be really liberating and connecting to all sorts of other people who feel sexual and other forms of oppression. So I want to actually uh, move off of that because what you said really triggered something in me to think about. Um, there was some work done um, at Georgia State University regarding like involuntary celibacy, and and I you know think about disability and with regards to involuntary celibacy, and how those things sort of might be related in a sense because you said everybody is fuckable, which I think is amazing, which is an amazing statement, and. Um, prolific in its own but um, what do you say to those people who feel that they're not fuckable I, I, I'm, 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 I'm loving this phrase involuntary celibacy mm-hmm. because that is often the case for a lot of people with disabilities because you know they you know because of you know what they've been taught that they are that they, their sexuality is not important that somehow being a disability, having a disability means that you're an asexual person or you're like a child or, you know, basically Mm -hmm. you're like, you're not supposed to be interested in sex. So I'm interested in hearing what Bethany has to say. Well, I mean, I think one, one issue is something that I've recently been using just as a rhetorical strategy, just when we're talking about the process of social and sexual stigma around disability is to switch the language from asexuality to desexuality. Mm. So it really gets at this idea of involuntary celibacy. So desexuality or desexualization is a social process where we're like shoved away from our sexuality rather than saying asexuality. Because because, some people are genuinely asexual. And and I I have friends who are asexual. Yeah, and for so many years, I was talking asexuality as my my jive, that I would either say disabled people are figured as asexual or hypersexual. Mm. And that really erased a whole group of people in terms of that as a sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So Um, so desexualization as a sort of a process of society just sort of stripping Stripping. you of your sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. what your question was, what would I say to these folks? Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, yeah, because I guess, you know, in my, in my head, I'm thinking, well, you know, you have your words sometimes are just really inspirational. They, 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 they um, motivate people to think about certain things. And so, you know, what about those people with disabilities who are experiencing involuntary celibacy, who think that they're unfuckable like what would you say to them to sort of inspire them to to be fuckable (laughs) i mean you know i think that that is a long long journey to come Mm. from a space of feeling that you're absolutely not desirable 
to going to a space feeling desirable, I think it takes a lot of self-work. Yes, it um, is. I mean, I think that that's a big part of it is just figuring out how, you know, how you can see yourself as a person. I, I think so often what happens to us as disabled people is that we're seen as objects and so we're we're passive or viewed as passive and childlike rather than subjects we don't seem to have like we can't be aggressive we are not mm. going to be the one that's going to be like a baby right now like we're going to be the one that things are acted upon us so i think flipping those social scripts in our brain is a big first step mm. um and then finding people that are not assholes, <laughs> that, you know? I mean, and, and, and then I, I will say that disability is actually a useful tool to cut out a lot of people that are totally superficial oh, and yes. that only mm. just want the perfect functioning mind or body because mm. um, that's something I will never achieve. Uh, um, yeah. So it's a good thing to just get those people out of the way right away. It's um, like online dating. Yeah, that's yeah. why in my online dating, I am very, I, I'm single and I am very, very upfront about the fact that I have a disability and I specifically name my disability mm -hmm. and because I just like, you know what? I don't want anyone who is just going to be like, oh, take a look at me or whatever and just to make assumptions right. about what kind of person I am and how I would um, be as a sexual partner. So, you know, it's weird though, even if you, even with that weeding out factor and getting um, a lot of um, jerks out of the way right away. Uh, oh, we still, still will meet some just like oh. top shelf ridiculous people. Oh, um, yes. Like, I have met like, some special cases. The person I dated, for example, who actually dated Moira Ryan, which mm -hmm. is fun that we have somebody in common. Um, <laughs> and he thought both of us were like flighty and too wild, which whatever. But I remember one, at once, uh, one sexual venture we had, it was literally post-coital, post-sex, we're naked, in bed. He turns to me and says something to the effect of, you know, my my friends say that I'm doing a good deed by dating. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you and it's kidding just me? Like, and it's in one of those situations where... <laughs> Like, wow. first of all, I climbed up his stairs to go into his apartment. Uh, the only thing he really had going for him was the sex. Mm. Uh, the rest was no good. Um, and so, like, it's just fascinating that, like, I'm just supposed to take that and just be like, congratulations. Right. I'm glad you've got your, like, heaven spot secured. Wow. <laughs> had sex with me. I mean, it's just, it's an interesting experience. So are you paying it forward? Is yeah, paying it wow. forward. What a douche hat. But, yeah. um, uh, yes. you know, I mean, that's just one example of many ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. um, another one that I experienced with Sarah on our second date, mm -hmm. a, a dude came up to us, Sarah's my wife, um, for the podcast listeners, but, um, a dude came up to us in a restaurant and he turned to Sarah and said, you know, I find her attractive. Is that weird? 
I swear I'm not drunk. Is that weird? Is that weird? Wow. I'm not drunk. As if you're not there, wow. Um, it, so, anyway, it's just, it's a strange thing to be somebody with a visible disability because we've become public bodies. Yeah. Just sort of like trans folks that maybe don't pass. But these bodies where people feel like they can just say oh, the craziest God. stuff that's just totally like off the wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, like somehow like our bodies just say, I welcome you and your stupidity. Like <laughs> I welcome you and definitely riding an elevator and we're strangers ask me if I can feel my vagina. Totally. What? Uh, like, oh, yes. I was about to share an experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Please do. Um, I remember, okay, I was going, I was at the airport, and I was going through TSA, and the lady who, I was in my chair, and the lady who was doing the pat-down, she goes to me, and she was like, uh, do you, do you have sex? I was like, yeah. She was like, well, how? She goes, do you get wet down there? This is the TSA agent. And I was just in a state of shock that she would even ask me this question. Because I was like, this has nothing to do with whether I'm bringing up on a plane. Right. Um, And um, I just said, yes. Because, you know, I'm a very forthright, honest person. However, you know... It wasn't until, I was like, I, you know, I turned to my husband. I say husband because he was my husband, but he, we're friends. And he's, <laughs> my ex has such negative connotation. Mm. But I was just like, you know, I, I was like, Sean, she asked me this. About my that, vagina. My vagina. And if I got <laughs> wet down there, well, he's just like, I cannot believe right. that. And or people that would act like he was doing a good deed by being with me. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Wow. So we can yeah. That's a whole different conversation. Get your spot in heaven by being mm-hmm. with someone who has a disability. Well, I was like, wait, he's lucky to be with me. Exactly. <laughs> that's what people just do not understand. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and I think this is true behaviorally with people thinking that the like non-disabled partner is always the dominant or the speaker um like so often when we go out to a restaurant people will look to her to order for me and i'm Mm. definitely more the dominant one i'm definitely the one that's gonna be like i will put everything together i'm organizing everything i will tell you to come up here she does now (laughs) she's got me nuts snapping at waiters which is good so my wife teaches me about ethics oh my gosh so we've kind of talked about all those things you know sort of the importance of um why we study sexuality and disability why we educate ourselves just sort of to bring awareness like hey don't ask me about my genitals. Like inappropriate. Don't Very don't exactly. speak to you know the able-bodied person when I'm standing right there or asking about me as if I can't you know hear or, or if I can't you know see what's going on, um, and uh, and I want to know how did you sort of manage? Did you did you experience any stigma in your lives about your you know disabilities and and how did you manage those? Uh, Bethany and I probably have um, very different experiences because mm-hmm. I acquired my physical disability, whereas Bethany, you know, was born with her. So I was born this way. Yeah. <laughs> I woke up like this. No. 
but um so my experience of having to get used to my body you know because i i acquired my disability you know at the age of 31 so uh you know acquiring and getting used to that body is very different than uh, and you know and rediscovering how i uh could experience pleasure Mm. whereas i think you know bethany you can share your experience of i i know that air but no no share my experience of just being born with your disabilities or disability or what you know what uh that sort of um how that's impacted yeah and managing stigma or anything did you have any sort of stigma or how did you get over if you did have stigma i mean or were you just born fabulous uh, you know and just was like yeah i got a stigma (laughs) um i mean i think that it really like the stigma component was visible the most for me Mm. when i was a teenager and i just fully felt undesirable and Mm. I wore baggy clothes because I didn't want to draw attention to I, my, my sternum pokes out as part of my disability, which is osteogenesis imperfecta, um, brittle bones. So mm-hmm. I have what they call a pigeon chest. It's uncomfortable. It's not cute. Um, so I don't know. I just tried to hide my body a lot. And mm. I also was under the impression that I was a heterosexual. Um, (laughs) And so that was interesting. I was also living in South Carolina where, so I was attracted to legit farmers, like farmer kids. Oh, I grew up in Arkansas. I mean, this is what I could be now. Like I could just be a wife with a bunch of kids and I could have never like studied sexuality. I could have just been a normal human. And just thinking about that is just disgusting. <laughs> uh, you should see my face right now. I know. I, I'm seeing your like, face. I'm like, I'm disturbed. I, I am very disturbed. Uh, no. But, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely written about it in CripConfessions.com. And mm-hmm. I've, um, I've talked about it in many talks. But just... The idea that, like, I actually had suicidal ideation um, mm-hmm. as a teenager because I was just, I never thought I was going to get laid. I just was so sexually frustrated. And mm. I thought nobody would ever desire me. Um, and I moved to college and I lived with sorority girls. So their game was quite aggressive, like bringing home guys mm-hmm. every single time we would go out. And I wasn't picking up guys frequently like that, so I felt very inadequate. It was um, it was a really it was a really challenging time. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I, I've talked about in other talks is just this idea that like so I went against the stereotype that we don't have sex, that we're not and and didn't have as many sexual partners as some, but I am very proud of the fact that I am a sexually liberated woman. Hey, I was quite liberated. And the thing is, like, the point of that, like, saying that and coming out about that is like, yes, so I went against the grain and fucked a bunch of people. 
But like, first of all, a lot of it was bad sex. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, it didn't matter how many people that I fucked or found me sexy. Like I had to get there. Yes. Like, and that's the personal part that mm-hmm. I think is so important to, to think about. Um, and I mean, it just, you know, a good example is that now, like there are some days when my wife will tell me that she likes something like my feet. Mm. Like she finds them pretty. And that's been an area that, like, they're not normal looking, they're small, blah, blah, because I'm three foot eight. So it still is, like, jarring to hear. And then I go through a process, like, are you fetishizing me? And, like, of Mm. course she's not. She's just loving all of me. But, like, there are still days that I don't. And so there's that um, cognitive dissonance with those two meeting up. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. It's just such an ongoing process. I mean, I think that's one thing. I don't like bell hooks, and I could go on a rant about why I don't like bell hooks. But one thing that she has taught me out of many things that she has is that love really is a verb. And mm-hmm. so, like, it has to be an ongoing process. Exactly. Not just with a partner or partners, but, like, with yourself. And you have to keep working on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's how I came to me because you know listening to Bethany and I'm going oh yes um because when I acquired my disability all of a sudden you know I have this new body Mm -hmm. with lots of scars you know as a result of all the different surgeries um and you know and it also not only at the same time that I acquired my disability too um I became a mother because I simultaneously had I went through a whole bunch of drama but Yes, rare birth defect discovered in spinal cord. Found out to the week before getting it cut out that I was pregnant. My wow. daughter is now 10 years old. She's awesome. She, she is. is amazing. She she's really sang is. with the band yes, at <laughs> my birthday party. Yes, exactly. You met my buddy. <laughs> That's true. Yes. And um, so um, I, I really, like, because I was with, you know, my husband at the time, and I remember thinking, oh, well, he's only interested in me sexually because he feels like he has to, because he's loyal. And also, I wasn't feeling like I was a sex, you know, feeling sexy, you know, with him because, you know, he had done all these intimate things that, you know, in, involved, you know, my personal caretaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, you've seen all of the things that come out of my body Mm -hmm. so how in the world can you still find me Mm. sexy and so um i went about you know trying to get back to my sexy in very unhealthy ways like going to craigslist and Mm -hmm. um you know but you know it was all part of that exploration Mm -hmm. and getting back to me and um I will have to say, I mean, and I, I will fully admit it, it's only been in recent years, I would only say like the past maybe two, three years, that I feel like I am a desirable person, mm. that I feel like I am sexy, and that, um, of course, I'm like, of course you don't want this. Mm-hmm. Come on, and who wouldn't? You know, and but you know, but it's also just taking pride and pleasure in my own body, looking at myself. You know, I find my scars beautiful now. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm like, this is beautiful. This is a mm-hmm. sign of strength, and strength 
this sexy. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that, okay, yeah, my gait. I used to pride myself on my little sexy walk. I used to, you know, wear my little high heels and, you know, sashay and have the booty going plop, plop, plop. <laughs> but it's, you know, but, you know, and now, you know, I, I limp and drag. And, you know, I call it my, my, my pimp walk. <laughs> you know, and I, awesome. <laughs> you know, I, and I, but you know what? I express who I am sexually through my clothing. And I'm like, I dress happy. I dress in a way that draws attention to the fact that I love my body. You know, I'm not having everything all hanging out, but I do mm-hmm. accentuate the positives. And, you know, I love my chest. I I like my legs. I, you know, I love my legs. My paralyzed leg and all. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I have this body and it's my body. And it's a beautiful sexual body nice and I think that's really really important just to sort of be accepting of ourselves and of our bodies and what our bodies can and can't do um and I was also thinking about I was thinking about how do you you know both of you sort of explained like you you're because you advocate sexuality and disability Um, Do you come out, you know, as do you always announce like, you know, since you're single, do you always announce like your, you know, disabilities? Like, do you always say, hey, this is what's going on with me? Like before you get involved with someone or how does that work for you? Because, you know, I have both, you know, hidden and physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. I'm very out about the fact that I have a physical disability because you see that right away. Mm hmm. My mental health, and I, I have to admit, maybe I'm a little guilty, more than guilty, but you know what? It's how I mm-hmm. deal with it. Um, because, you know, I take medication, and that's managing, you know, manage my condition. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually a really positive, happy, upbeat person when mm-hmm. I am, you know, medicated. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I don't tell someone about um the mental illness because people you know the stigma yeah and people hear mental illness and they're like oh my god you're gonna you know kill me or yeah, you're, right. that means oh, you're geez. homicidal or you're yeah. gonna go mm-hmm. breaking everything in my house or you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. whatever stereotypes that you have about people with mental illness and so i it's not until i trust someone that i will say hey this is, you know, I have a mental illness, mm-hmm. I have, you know, and um, this, you know, this is how it manifests, this is how I take care of it, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, and this is what this means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because sometimes, you know, it does, you know, my, when I'm depressed, you know, I don't, I don't want sex. Mm-hmm. I don't feel sexy. I don't look at anyone. I don't think about sex. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm focused on my sadness. Mm-hmm. But, um, with medication that's not an issue so um but my physical disability yes i am very very upfront about that i'm like this is me and um like it or lump it yeah because i sure like it right i mean i feel like my disability is the best thing that ever happened to me Mm. because you know it it set my life back on track Mm. and it's led to a career yeah so and uh you know meeting my my best friend and just in a community and but more than that is 
it helped me get to me and what was really important and it helped me discover me and it helped me develop a true sense of self-love nice which i had not had before mm. so i'm actually really grateful that um i acquired my disability oh that's amazing so um so i think when thinking about you know you were talking about um sort of when you were, Bethany, when you were talking about, you know, being a teen and thinking about how you're like undesirable and sort of managing this stigma, I think it's important, you know, when I was sort of reading up on everything, sexuality and disability that I could read up and uh, read up with, but I was thinking about how um, there was a website that talked about um, thinking about um, assessing like the pain and assessing fatigue and your mental state you know, what medications might do to your oh, libido, yes. oh, um, yes. you know, um, do you have any like sort of thoughts about sort of the uncertainty that comes with um, disabilities or certain disabilities? I do, um, as far as mental, because they're, you know, with mental health with the whole medication game, some medications do affect your libido and sometimes you know because and so a lot of times people with mental health disability will weigh up okay do I want to maintain you know being able to like maintain an erection mm -hmm. or you know or you know feel be able to ejaculate because sometimes there are medications that interfere with that right oh yeah um, mm -hmm. and or do I will I be able you know feel sexy or you know feel pleasure or you know even want to masturbate or anything like that, any libido, because there are some certain, I've taken a lot of medications that mm -hmm. have completely killed my sex drive. Mm -hmm. And so then you'll, I'll stop taking them. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes. So when you're like, when you're involved with someone, you sort of like have to sort of manage like, okay, do I want to take this medication now yeah. or later? Or, or There's... just, or talking to your doctor about, Hey, this is what's going on. Oh, Can we try? Mm -hmm. So when you find the magic pill, which for me, you know, was Zoloft, mm -hmm. which it's like, okay, it manages depression and it did not impact my libido at any point. But I do have a fear that what happens when, if it stops working, mm. because I do not, I'm afraid of having to get back on that whole um, medical merry-go-round of finding the right medication that where I can have a sex life and maintain my mental health. Mm. So. And what about you, like being in a relationship, like would you mind sort of talking about sort of assessing <clears throat> those things? Like if you experience, um, I don't know if you experience pain or fatigue or anything, um, but if that affects like your sex life with your partner, like. Absolutely. Um, so I do, I, I experience a, a quite a bit of bone pain. I have arthritis in various places in my body. And ironically, my um, orthopedist, my bone doctor, told me that I have arthritis of a 70-year-old man. Oh, wow. Which, of course, I was just like, why? Whoa. Why is it a man? I was not a 70-year-old woman. Right. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that like when you get into a long-term relationship, there is just the issue of discrepancies in desire. Mm. And, you know. Just in general, yeah. Um, like, I have, my little engine has been running higher 
the past like week and a half and she's been tired so mm-hmm. sometimes we are scheduling sex so that we know that we're not going to be exhausted mm-hmm. or whatever grumpy um so there's that but i i also think that like just going back to that original question about like um medication or various aspects of disability impacting our sexuality in ways where we can't perform normatively. I think that's one thing about disability that's so, like, it opens up so much space if we can think about how sex doesn't have to, like, move along this normative path. Mm. It doesn't have to be the step-by-step model, like, the caress, the, right. like, the basis <laughs> model. The like, we play, can, the... Yeah, and, like, we can really, mm-hmm. like choose from the buffet and like just experience yeah, pleasure. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know, buffet. and so I um, I have this friend in the Bay Area named Rafe Biggs and he runs sexability uh, excuse me uh, dot com excuse me and it's basically just an organization around disability and sexuality and one of the things that he has taught me and which is an amazing feat is that as a man with um, quadriplegia so he's paralyzed from like the chest down Mm -hmm. he had to do some radical rethinking on what his sexual identity means because you know as we know our culture is dick centric Mm -hmm. so how do you live how do you function if your dick is not functioning the way it's supposed to in quotes um and so he has done so much tantra work that he knows how to do enough breathing and meditative focus Mm. to where he can actually move the pleasure points in his body Mm. so he can have a full orgasm through having someone suck on his thumb Mm. and you know i tell students this i teach this to people just as one example of many that like we can we can move around these these body issues and the discrepancies in desire and that can be timing those can be chemicals you just have a bad day at work you know mm-hmm. and those things impact desire but if we can just slow down and change our expectations of what we want from those experiences i think there's a lot of liberation there so like for me i see disability as a as a really wonderful way to open up a lesson for everyone mm-hmm. to just really like let's move away from the media like the dominant media notion of what sex looks like and that is like mm-hmm. really spontaneous slammed up against a wall where there's no communication about safer sex practices mm. it's all about the the man getting off mm-hmm. um and just like really just stopping the ridiculousness and talk to the partner and like maybe say what you need and one of the practices that I teach my students to do is to do a pleasure blueprint Mm. so they go over their bodies and just learn and they can do that with themselves or with their partner and partners and just like touch the body with different types of pressure Mm -hmm. or with feathers Mm -hmm. just to figure out where are all your pleasure points because they're not just in our genitals and I just I just think there's so much like that's the kind of stuff that just like makes me so happy that like 
sex really is the revolution that I really hoped it would be. Yeah. And it's just, it can open up a lot of space. Yeah, it feels like to me, like, just hearing you say that, like, disability has sort of opened your mind. It's like Pandora's box, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that we can do or transform in our lives to be better people or to experience better orgasms or to experience our sexuality in whole different ways that, like you said, are not normative. And for people who, who do Tantra or who do, you know, other sort of, or who are into maybe other alternative sexual practices, um, sort of realize those things. But you know, the everyday folks just don't know how to transform their mind into um, thinking how they can experience orgasm in a whole different way, or, or experiencing pleasure in a whole different way. And I think, yeah. wow, it's so important to just think about how, um, what are the different ways that we can experience pleasure in our bodies. And um, that's definitely another thing that I teach too as well, is just like, where on your bodies feel good? Like touch, mm-hmm. different pressure, different mm-hmm. points, yes. uh, different kisses, different places. Like I'm still what? discovering. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, 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 and I, it changes. I, it changes. I mean, and I mean, I do not real, I mean, recently I had a lover that you know, laughing at me anyway, but he taught me like just from kissing or licking different parts of my arm that, and he was just like, your body has so many erogenous zones. He's like, you're just, he, and he was, he just, he was helping me discover these things about myself. And I was like, almost the same, but I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I did not know. I was like, you don't understand. I did not know that that felt. And I did not know that I could orgasm simply by having that part of me stimulated by your lips and your tongue and your teeth. Yeah. It was, it was very, very exciting. Which is why I'm flying to go see him. (laughs) I think it's really important to know where your erogenous zones are, you know, and I feel like they change over time, you know, so it's always good to go back and recap and say, hey, you know, I did like this before, you know, maybe I'll like it again, or maybe, you know, there's something new that I like even better about my body. And I think that's, you know, really important. Um... But I also wanted to sort of bring up um, thinking about sexual confidence in your abilities, like as a person who has a disability um, or has a disabilities, like what uh, what kind of, how can you build up your sexual confidence when it comes to those? Is that a hard well, question? As, as far as like building your... Well, for me, practice makes perfect. And also, you know, masturbation too helps, you know, but, you know, but sometimes, you know, there are, you know, due to certain disabilities, you know, that might not be, um, that might not be an option. Um, but you know, it, it, it practice with another person, mm-hmm. which for me, um, that um, and that that is how I can we ask the question again? 
Yeah, I just said, you know, what is the, how do you build up your sexual confidence in your abilities? And also, but just doing things for me that help me take care of myself or help me feel sexy, which is, for me, is like when my skin looks nice, me taking care of my skin, Mm, or uh, self-care, you know, it could be, uh, is that something as simple as like underwear, you know, all the, you know, other things, for me, for you know, and it's different for every person, but for me, feeling sexy is also tied in to my appearance. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like I look good and that I'm smelling good and that I'm dressed hot, I feel sexy. Yes. And I feel desirable and I feel like a femme fatale mm-hmm. and like everybody wants this. And I put that out. And people respond. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they feel the sexual energy. Oh, yeah. They really do. As a matter of fact, I had a boss that was just like, you're you're just too sexual. <laughs> and I, I, I just was going, what does she mean? Is this the same one that thought because I was a sexologist that I was a whore? <laughs> what? Not that boss. Oh, not that boss. <laughs> yeah. That's charming. Yes. And, yeah. and it was And just, there's nothing and I and I by the way do not have anything against sex workers and yeah. the use of the word whore was actually her verbiage and Yeah. She, yeah. I am a She qualifies as a skank, I think. <laughs> so it, it shakes out to be equitable. I'm um, all about um the rights of uh sex workers. I just wanted to mention that I yeah was, i mean i used to be a sex worker i was um a sensual dom mm-hmm. and i'm very out about that and that's part of because that's part of my experience and my journey mm-hmm. how i came to that i mean it was kind of the i mean because i did i had clients who were people with disabilities mm-hmm. so that was also um something that gave me insight. I like to think of it as field research. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I was in the trenches. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I do want to answer your question too, Marla, about um, just coming to a state of confidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Hallelujah, Lord. Uh, no. You're going to have to cut that shit out. Um, so... So speaking to the idea of um, sexual confidence, um, in, I believe it was 2010, maybe it was 2011, I ran a sexual retreat for disability um, in Michigan. Yeah, and it was a lovely retreat center, which has since closed, which is sad. It was really lovely and accessible and rarely fun, both of those two things together. Um, but so I did all these lovely exercises, really just trying to push people to think about, well, I'll just say one of the exercises that I did where I had, I had people sit in front of a mirror and not speaking out loud, but just having moments with themselves where they would fill in sentences that started with, um, like, I love you because, and just talking about themselves. Um, if I loved you, I would. And um, these were incredibly provocative because it seemed like a lot of them had a hard time answering that one, like, if I loved you, I would. And it was, it caused a lot of tears. 
Um, but one of the things that I also had them do was just practice with themselves saying something like that they actually desire. So some particular act or something, just figuring out how to speak your own desire. Mm. And that's something like, you know, when we, when we talk to students about how to give speeches, we tell them to practice, practice in front of a mirror. I say the same thing around sex and like figuring out because it's scary. <laughs> like mm. it, it is scary the first time you figure out, so this is what I want. Is this normal? That's what everybody wants to know. Am I normal? Am I normal? Mm. Who gives a fuck It's like, normal? what the fuck is normal? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm of the opinion if you're consenting adults, mm. it's all normal. Right. Exactly. exactly. That is Just nice. go nice. with it. Right. Um, so, but I, I find that the practice of just figuring out how to actually just speak what you want, even before you're in a setting, has been very fruitful for students of mine as well as myself of just figuring out how to speak what I want. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's something. Um, and then you also, um, Robin, you brought up something about like masturbation may not be accessible to everyone, exactly. but there are lots of adaptations oh, with yeah. sex toys that do make masturbation more accessible. Um, Come As You Are, which is a, a sex shop that's a co-op in Canada, uh, has a wonderful section on disability and sexuality about how to adapt certain sex toys so that they can be um, more accessible if you don't have uh, manual dexterity or the like. So um, there are just lots of ways to move around sexuality and make it accessible. And those methods, like you said, practice makes perfect. And Mm -hmm. that is basically... I love that practice, practice, practice. Exactly. It's not just for playing the piano. Right. You're playing all your body bits. And see what kind of music your body can hum. Nice. Excellent. um, I don't know. Like, I I just think that, like, really... And that's one of the areas right now that I'm I'm working on a piece with this um, dancer and cultural maker. I'm not sure what she... What Z calls herself... Um, uh, fully, but we're writing a paper, Leslie Freeman and I, um, talking about suicide prevention mm. in disability communities, communities, because there's not just one, mm. but really thinking about how, like, building on the rhetoric of ACT UP and talking mm. about how uh, silence equals death. Yes. And so if we keep this silence around sexuality, particularly around sexual shame, like we have so many people who are killing themselves over these issues. Mm-hmm. And so just like speaking desire is that revolutionary act. And so I think practicing is just as important as practicing sexual activities in and of themselves. Like I think just talking about it because we're not supposed to talk about sex. Hmm. We're raised not to talk about it. Yes. Especially as ladies, which supposedly we all oh, are. Oh, God. And then, I don't know. She's kind of naughty. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Um, those are just, like, I just, I think there's a lot around speaking desire that I don't think that we've really tapped into the revolutionary, like, potential. Yeah. There for the disability world. I mean, there's still plenty of people in our communities who will tell people like Robin and I, mm-hmm. like, 
you know, you could focus on something more reasonable. I mean, we, oh, still, yes. we still need people working on housing and employment uh, and this and that. Yeah. And, like, why are, why do you need so much attention? Oh, why, yes. Everybody is for, why, for why attention. Why are you talking about so sex. slutty? Like, why does this have to be the thing you do? And why is you, like, or why are you so naughty? You're, oh, yes. You're, you're, you're the, you know, you're the naughty. You're, you, what? what you're doing is... Like controversial, but then when you sit there and mm-hmm. you talk to actual people with disabilities, and the these are people with disabilities that will say this shit too. Wow, yeah, they'll really? say it too. But wow. um, I hear it more from people who work in the disability community who do not have disabilities. Yeah. Oh, interesting. They, I've heard from people. Yes, but it's yeah, like a, a point of privilege where they're speaking from just like not being. Oh yeah, because um, I mean, even when I culturally presented a workshop and there was someone who was very adamantly opposed to the fact that you know I was talking about uh, BDSM and disability because she's like. I've been working in this field for 40 years, you know, working with people with disabilities, sexuality. She goes, I would never recommend they do any of these practices, you know, or they, they should be working in conjunction with a doctor and all of that, making it all like wow. medicalized. I was like, well, you know, forgive me, but you know, we have autonomy over our own bodies. Right. And um, I said, would you say that to anyone? Um, that is involved in BDSM that they need to, you know, you know, they need to consult with their doctors and their nurses about how they want to have their sex life. And I was like, you, you know, it was like, and it's Trump talking about like safe, sane, and consensual. Mm-hmm. And she just was, I mean, she was just horrified, but you know, the fact, but everybody else in there was understanding what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's kind of the attitude you run into I I have experienced some of the most I would say the most horrifying responses to talking about sex in Georgia Mm, Um, in Georgia so in the bio it speaks to the fact that I was teaching in the school of public health at Georgia State Mm -hmm. and I was in a disability research center and so um, one particular session I trained just a beginning conversation about sex um, with parents of people with intellectual disabilities and those people were adults and it what was so lovely and that is sarcasm um, (laughs) was like how lacking shame these people were in telling the most disgusting stories like um, my daughter masturbates. Yeah, she's in her 20s, but, you know, she masturbates, so I'm going to put splints on her at night so that she can't. Oh, or, oh like, or, like, you know, my daughter has been kissing one of her friends and their girl, and so um, I've had to take her out of that social group. That's her only social group, but... I can't handle my daughter being gay. I mean, this wow. this is just wrong. She's going to hell. And oh god, what was lovely just to add to the disgusting nature, and it's just sort of a tangent, but I have to say it. <laughs> it's yeah. just that like one of my co-presenters, who is able-bodied um, and queer, um, another individual like 
touched her on the shoulder afterwards and was like checking in and like, I'm so sorry you had to hear that homophobic, blah, blah, blah. Whereas that was not offered to me because even though I'm actually married to a woman, not just like scooping them up (laughs) wherever they're coming from. And, um, and, And it's largely because like, in that space, I'm seen as the like the crazy one because I'm talking about sex. Therefore, it's okay that they spew hatred and spew their ridiculousness because mm. I chose this. So wow. it's I mean it is hard talking mm. to these people that have such just limited bias. Yeah, I mean it's just it's scary the things they're comfortable saying. Yes, and, that's, and that's the, the, the scary the things is. that they're comfortable believing. Wow. Right and and like don't want to move either. and they don't want to like, move. They're 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 comfortable being right there and they want that affirmed. Wow. And I can't. Well, so yeah, yeah. it was it, it was a lot of emotional labor. Mm-hmm. So so what kind of a, so um, I really kind of want to think about sort of like the able-bodied people that. Um, I'm going to assume that you've had sex with. Um, um, how, huh? I was like, oh, yes. Well, I had a lot of experience. <laughs> what, would, what would some of your best advice be um, for those folks? Communication is key. Mm. Um, and not being, like, afraid to ask me, well, what, what do you like? What brings mm. you pleasure? And actually talking to me and listening to me and saying, where is it okay? You know, where, what should I not do? Not only like what feels good to you, what, what are, you know, what are your limits? The same things mm-hmm. that you would actually discuss with anyone, else, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of their uh, ability. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have found my best lovers were the ones who were very open to talking about, you know, disability and, you know, how they can support me in wanting to do like certain positions and mm. things like that and helping and also just helping me discover things like my previous lover. Nice. I'm getting all I'm getting all turned on hot and bothered thinking about seeing him next week and all of this because he actually was probably the first person to really be comfortable and ask me about my body Mm. and was genuinely interested in how it worked and genuinely interested in how to make it like okay well if you want to do this let's see if we can try and do it like this Mm -hmm. and it was amazing god opening that pandora's box it was the best best sex i ever had in my life wow because he was a very open communicator Mm. and he actually listened to me he's also a freak (laughs) oh yes he is open to anything and I mean, he, yeah. he's a teacher. He's a sexual who, educator. So. Yeah. Somebody who 
like this is his main game is teaching you how to be a better lover you would hope he can throw it down oh like, yeah he can throw it down so he can smack yeah. it flip it rub it Oh so what is the question about the evil buddy partners? What would we tell them? Yeah, what would advice? be like your best advice? Yeah. Because okay, let me let me say that like, you know, um I've read, you know, plenty of articles, you know, about, you know, sexuality and disability, but um just disability in general, um for folks who um do not have like those disabilities or a disability, you know, things that they tend to do, like baby talk, right? Like things you shouldn't do, like no baby talking, no, no. slow talking or pretending like the disabled body person isn't there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like them talking to your partner instead of you when you're the dominant person. Um, um, you know, I was thinking like always, you know, ask, you know, before giving help, you know, um, if people are in a wheelchair, like, don't bend down to talk to them. That was, like, a big one. I'm not sure, you know, how other folks feel yeah. about that one. Um, but it seemed to be a big one in the articles I read. And then just, no, asking about your damn genitals, how wet they are. Like, what? Do you like... get wet down there? <laughs> and, like, Does I... your penis work? You know, how, you know, like. You know, like, mm -hmm. I... Uh, so I had this experience when I was in college. Mm -hmm. um, I had many crazy, ridiculous experiences because I went to the University of Florida, which for a while was a top party school. And so I had a dude at a bar once come up to me and tell me, you know, he had always wanted to have sex with a little person. And so that was like one of his fantasies. And so my advice to him was like, that's that's cute and all, um, but just so you know, in the future, if you actually like want to have sex with somebody, you buy them a drink, you ask them, how are you? Maybe what's your name? <laughs> Regular conversation shit. Keep your fetish on the low and maybe you might get some. Right. Exactly. I, I know that that goes against like, you know, ethics. Right. Like, <laughs> teaching, but like... Honestly, if you want to get that that fetish satiated, <laughs> just act like a regular person. Yes. Yeah, so, like don't go up to a black girl's like, you know, I've never had a black girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got, I've, I've had yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, well, well, you know, oh, yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's a hot, hot mess and it does not, it does not make someone feel attractive. Mm. For sure. So, no. No. Like, um, and, and then, I mean... I honestly, there were so many times that I would throw people out of my house because they did not sexually satisfy me. Oh, shit. Um, when I was younger. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> it's true. Oh, yeah, I could totally see um, So, like, my advice would be, like, shut up, do your work, expect and know that there will be reciprocity or there will be nothing. You know, I, I always had this statement of like, I will go down your road if you go down mine. But mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. uh, this is not a one way. Like, right. <laughs> there are no unilateral sexual situations with me Stop. unless I am <laughs> the pillow girl. Like, <laughs> and then by all means, 
serve and leave. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Treat so. me like the yeah. princess that I am. That's right. yes, that would right. be exactly. the advice I would give. Treat like, me yeah. like the princess that I am. Just know, right. yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, you know, I've this is totally inappropriate, but whatever. I have said on more than one occasion that I have top shelf pussy, and it should be nice. like treated yes. as such. Oh, yes. I say that. Like, I say that. Yes. Yes. Like, I'm like, I've got a platinum pussy. Yes. yes. My my presence is a present to you. Yes. <laughs> that that like, is how I'm like going. Yes, I am blessing you. Yeah. <laughs> Feel honored. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, and I think that these are all. Like counter what normal, normal quote unquote mm-hmm. people would think about disabled people. Yeah. They would be like, "Oh my god!" We're not just what? like, "Oh, we're so what? grateful that like... somebody sees that somebody wants to have sex with us." Mm. Oh wow! And I, I mean, I remember being of that mindset. Uh, you know, of like, "Oh, okay, well, I'll have sex with you because you." You like me, or mm-hmm. you accept me, and now I'm just like, mm, do I accept you? Okay, okay, mm-hmm. it's very true. It's a good switch. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a good healthy switch. So I found a few sort of rules, um, and then I wanted to sort of uh, run these rules by you to see if you agree with them or not. And um, one of them was said, uh, you know, let the disabled person lead. So, you know, mm-hmm. let me know if why you agree or disagree or um, do you think the disabled person should always lead um, when they're sexual in that Sexually? Hmm? They, they sexually lead? Yeah, sexually like sexually. lead. Yeah. It just, I mean, for me, I, you know, it just, you know, because I, you know, I guess maybe I'm thinking it turns in BDSM, mm. you know, because um, depending on like for instance the person that i was with i tended to be a bit more submissive mm-hmm. i mean i i lead all the time because i'm actually pretty dominant mm-hmm. but you know because this person actually knew what he was doing and once <laughs> we had this communication and the energy that we had mm-hmm. i was very happy for him to take it. but i i gave him the gift of letting him lead right? mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule that, okay, the person with a disability has to leave. Mm. I mean, it's, it depends on the energy, the same way with depends anyone. on the energy, yeah. It just depends on the energy. Mm-hmm. I do think, um, this idea, it can manifest in, in this way where, so an example on the, on my first date with my wife, Sarah, um, and by the way, I talked about our SARS. Have you done a SAR? A sexual yeah, assessment? Yeah. So watching a bunch of porn. I talked about bestiality porn on our first date. Mm-hmm. And she still like hung out with me. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive. But for her, like um, thinking about how would she respect me and not make me feel trapped. So um, she, when she drove me home, she wanted to make sure she got my wheelchair out of her vehicle before she tried to kiss me so that I wouldn't feel like she was trapping me in her vehicle and, mm. I, and I couldn't oh, leave. Right. And so she was like very thoughtful and asked me like, where should I put my hands so that like where on your wheelchair? And I think those are all like nice consent questions. Yes. Just 
like what works for your body mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. i i mean i think that that kind of answers that question like um but i don't think that we need to lead because they're we're just as inclined to be submissive as we are <coughs> dominant just like anybody else so I don't know. I've definitely taken the lead in most situations. I mean, I take the lead all the time. I think so, yeah. I made my sub come over yesterday because I was just like, I need attention and I need you to take me out to eat because that's what I want to do. And yeah, and I need you to cuddle me and then I need to go home. No, I like that. (laughs) In college, I used to wish that my bedroom window just had a slide <laughs> where they could just, just, you know, leave. Just, yeah, just put them on there push right. them like just leave <laughs> just. I'm such a brat <laughs> I mean it's amazing that karma like I've somehow managed to find a good partner despite what I've done so. so there was another rule too. It was talked about like communicating your needs and sort of negotiating how they will be met. Um, and I think I feel like what you what you all have been saying is pretty much consistent. Like communication is key. Um, you know, um, figuring out uh, how how you're going to get your needs met, how you are going to you know get that orgasm, how you are you know you know to get whatever you need so I feel like that goes without saying um and then the other one is sort of what we talked about earlier is like Pandora's box right so keeping the door open to new and unique sexual possibilities oh yes mm-hmm. I feel like always. that's yeah that's part of being human and being a sexual being exactly I mean you should always keep yourself yeah open yeah you would you you think that you would think most people would think that, but you know okay. the clients I see. Okay, I was about to say then again. You know, sometimes I, I feel like about... as sexual educators, we kind of live in our own world. Oh yeah, course, we think that know? everybody is like as sexually adventurous and open as we are. But yeah. you know, I go on, please. No, <laughs> I think that's also true for queer folks. That like yeah. just being around so many queer folks, you're like everybody's queer, right? And then mm-hmm. like you go home for the holidays, and you're just like, Fuck. like oh wait, what are, who are you, <laughs> heterosexuals? Mm-hmm. What? No, I no, I'm much rather talk about how I like to snap my black gloves. Like, <laughs> yeah, some kind of hetero. Like, yeah, and that, I think that was that's part of why I I mean I my the my social group is a very sex positive um a social group but i had to find that mm-hmm. so i can't can't could talk about these things and um you were talking about yeah no i'm just saying like yeah keeping the just the the door open to the, the new unique possibilities and and just being you know more open-minded because you know we um not we as sexuality educators, but we as society in this broader sense of saying these people who, you know, so my clients who might come into my office who are just, you know, very, have been sort of narrow focused, right? I think sex is just like penis and vagina and that's it, right? And sort of expanding that possibility of what it means to, to also, what does it mean to not have penis and vagina? What does it mean to like, have something different or unique, mm-hmm. or 
have a thumb in the mouth, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, something or new and different. Or nibbling on the inside of your arm. Nice. Oh like a cherry. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, is there anything you sort of want to um, add to this discussion? Or um, is that sort of the advice that... Um, do you think that's pretty good advice for folks? Sort of keep the door open, communicate, and to um, and to just and to be yeah, be open mm-hmm. to new and pleasurable experiences, but also you know to also be conscious of your boundaries as well. Yeah, and, you know that, but that all ties into communication. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and I, um, another, so another piece that I'm working on right now is thinking about um, the the nature of the girl and this idea of how pleasure is dangerous for girls and women. Mm. And we are taught that it's, it's dangerous. Um, and this one particular uh, psychologist Michelle mm-hmm. Fine has talked about this this notion she calls thick desire. So when women can start speaking of their desire and start articulating those needs, that then becomes connected to other aspects of their lives and they start demanding more. Um, and it's very much like Audre Lorde talks mm-hmm. about this in The Power of the Erotic. Yes. And really just how when you can start saying... I deserve love. I deserve sexual pleasure. Wow. Somehow that means that you can feel like, you know what? I also deserve a fucking raise. I deserve to be treated not like a token in the workplace. I deserve to be treated like a freaking human. And I, you know, I think that's one of the gifts that sexologists bring to the world is that we can show that everything is connected to sex. Yes. And for me, sex is so much the nucleus of ableism or the system of power around disability that exalts able-bodiedness and devalues disability, just like racism exalts whiteness Mm -hmm. and devalues um, people of color. So um, I just, I think that there's something here around unraveling that silence to get to that thick desire so that we really so like to go back to the idea that people give us crap because we're focused on sex and we could be talking about you know uh, world peace world peace (laughs) in my vagina Uh, you know like um i think that they're all connected so really like the idea is fallacious that if we we should move on to something that's more meaningful because i think if we can get people to start really meaningfully talking about their desire and knowing that they're worth it that those connect to other things and i that's just such a powerful concept that you know desire connects to other aspects of empowering your life and i mean that feeds into your business um of sex abled, of empowering disabled people. And I mean, you know, I decided when I was 20, I was gonna focus on disability. I was gonna devote my life to this. And it wasn't until I lost somebody to suicide because his penis wasn't working the way Mm. he thought it should. Mm. And that just, it changed me. And Mm. so, you know, like 
I don't know. There's so much work to do, sadly. But, like, I mean, we have jobs. Or we will have jobs. Um, (laughs) I, I just, there's, I just think there's so much there of just, like, speaking desire and how that connects to revolution nice um and i you know i i also think that many of these things sound like they're redundant but i also think there is something to repetition equals truth and the more people hear these messages the more it becomes sort of part of their norm and it becomes part of their parlance and so it becomes part of social truth and so that's why we have to keep preaching yeah definitely I'm very much advocate for women speaking their power and desire, and it's all connected. I, you know, sexual energy to me is the most powerful energy in this world. It really so is. So, like you said, it's connected to all those things. Yeah. Um, so, how can we get in touch with you, Bethany? Do you have any other announcements? Is there anything that you, you need to tell us about that's happening with you besides your research? Um, I mean, I'm going to have some gigs in the spring. I'll be going to the University of Illinois, Chicago in April, and I'll be doing a lecture there on the politics of pleasure. So really trying to focus on moving into the politics of pleasure instead of just looking at the barriers. I think those are really important, but I want to talk about what does pleasure mean and how can that change the way we see the world. I, I want to um, start imagining the world I want to live in and not just fighting against the world we do live in. So yeah, that's something I'm, I'm looking to move towards. Mm-hmm. And I'll be doing that also at the American Sociological Association in Chicago in August. Um, I mean, I'll continue blogging and I'll be teaching at Widener University, but um, you know, I'm a, a rolling stone, so <laughs> just trying to figure out where my place is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I am a girl who will keep popping up. So follow me on Twitter and talk to me. I'm I'm available for all sorts of chats. So, awesome. Yeah. Great. I was gonna say the same thing about well, not all those things that Bethany's doing. <laughs> I, my big thing right now is getting my website launched, mm-hmm. and I'm also going to be in what I'm excited about launching a line of Gimp Pimp uh, shirts and nice. bracelets. Nice. That, because, mm-hmm. you know, talking about empowering people with disabilities and uh, sexuality, and I... It started as a, a joke because I always, you know, I always refer to myself as a gimp pimp, mm-hmm. you know, and, but other people with disabilities, they were like, I love that. Mm-hmm. Where did you get that bracelet? I made a, a bracelet nice. that said that. And they're like, where'd you get that? And so now I'm like, you know what? I'll sell some of these on my website. But um, I'm also going to be presenting a workshop at Liberator sometime this late fall, early winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, it'll be on uh, sexuality and disability. And um, I will just be working on writing and getting this pamphlet out so I can get it distributed to the bookstores and other the boutiques and everywhere so they can sell it. And so I can make some money too. <laughs> and um, just, I mean, I'm, I plan to do a lot more writing and I'm still, you know, 
that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this and having my business and I'm also a mom as well. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am a busy woman and, um, but I'm also, I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing. And as I learn and grow, I like to share this and I, I, I look forward to doing more speaking. I just spoke at, um, uh, Mercer university to their rehabilitation class and, um, they were they loved me and would like me to speak to more classes so you know and i i really i'm coming into my own as a speaker Mm -hmm. and i really because i like to i like to connect with people i like to talk so if anybody wants me to come out and speak to you i would love to do that um you can talk to me on twitter at at sexabled and um you can and also my website is you know uh, at Sexabled with Robin WB. Awesome. Also, um, just to add something that we'll both be doing on February 19th, there will be um, this year, um, this coming year, this mm-hmm. um, 2015, is the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is mm-hmm. our civil rights legislation. Although, because it was under a bush, you can't trust it. It is mm. more about businesses. But we won't go on a law school rant because nobody fucking cares about that. <laughs> the point is, is that we will be having two parades. One in February, February 19th, and another one in June when the Society for Disability Studies will be in town. So there'll be a lot of disabled folks in town. But this parade is going to highlight various aspects of our rights, including sex. Nice. And some of like the older the older leaders, including this woman Eleanor Smith, um, who has been pushing for visitability houses so that people can actually get into them. Mm. Um, she has um, encouraged the parade planners to allow us to be leading the march and the sexuality component, awesome. which is huge for Georgia. Yeah. Um, it's a and it's huge just for this disability community here, which is kind of conservative. So that'll be something we will be bringing visibility to that for the ADA celebration, which is nice. That's awesome. So be thinking about how the law is not just about the structures. It's about what those structures can do to help facilitate your sex life. Make those bars accessible so I can meet somebody. Right. And go find somewhere to have sex with that person. Right. Nice. So it all sort of like connects and we get to be in the parade. Excellent. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Big things. Big things. You'll have to march as an ally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Well, I have a few things coming up. I have a sip and steam Yoni uh, steaming event um, in January. That's going to be pretty fun. Um, Yeah, we're going to be tasting aphrodisiac wines and, you know, getting our... uh, Vagina steamed. So oh, I've had my vagina steamed at JJ. Yeah, yeah. Yes, with all the herbs and yeah. things, and it was very cleansing. Yeah, and it was just it. I really, I felt really beautiful and Where fresh yeah. and enlivened at your place yeah yeah so um i'm not personally doing the steaming i'm um uh partnering with this woman who's doing the who's doing the steaming so 
Sounds, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I'll be making that for DCF wine. So very nice. Uh, <laughs> I shall be drinking it and giving my yummies. Mm, yes. <laughs> and um, we're also doing our first fundraiser for the Sex Down South conference, which I hope you all will be able to attend and please present at. Yeah. Um, and that will the conference is next year, so the fundraiser is going to be um, at Einstein's. It's going to be on a Wednesday on a Hump Day, and we're doing uh, erotic yes. bingo. We've named it Bango. Uh Um, (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so um, (laughs) um, and so of course I have the eBooks that are going to be released pretty soon. Um, Our discussion will also be on a wonderful eBook, so you can just click through it, click to their websites, um, and you know uh, you can go from there in the eBook. So it'd be great. And you can always uh, go to my website, which is velvetlipsllc.com. And you can always book workshops or um, book, uh, you know, initial assessments if you need coaching. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Also, join Infin- us. Huh? InfinityCon. Yes. We're it, both doing that. Right? Yes, yes. yes. InfinityCon. On polyamory and disability. Excellent. That's awesome. So InfinityCon, yes, is February 12th through the 14th, I believe. So excellent! So you'll be presenting there. I will. I'll, I will be presenting on um, dating. So that's exciting for me. I haven't. Uh, it's the first one. So yes, I've been talking to um, the um, founders and trying to get some more folks of color to do some presentations. Very so that's good. exciting. Um, and join us um, later on for the Google Hangout on air. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me um, at info at velvetlipsllc.com or you can just put your questions um, up on the Google Hangout on air. So thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Bethany, for participating in this. You guys are fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Marla. Yes. Love you. <laughs> thank you. Love you. Thank you. All right. Good night.